Welcome to Lights at the End of the Tunnel, a place where we shine a light on, rant, complain, and try to find solutions about the MGA. After all, we are all in these tin cans together. Welcome back to Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Glad to have you back. Episode 21, recorded December 29th, 2018. On this episode, I speak with John Liu. John Liu is Senator-elect for New York's 11th District. His district includes College Point, Bayside, Whitestone, Melrose, Queens Village, Douglaston, Glen Oaks, Little Neck, Jamaica, Jamaica Estates, Fresh Meadows, parts of Flushing, and Oakland Gardens. John was born in Taiwan and immigrated to New York City when he was five years old. Prior to public service, he worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers and served as president of the North Flushing Civic Association. He was a member of city council from 2002 to 2009, representing New York City's 20th district, where he fought for a more representative MTA board and transparency within the MTA. After his terms in city council, he was elected to New York City Comptroller from 2010 to 2013, where he saved the city billions of dollars through audits and routed out wasteful spending. After serving as Comptroller, he decided to go into teaching, where he teaches municipal finance and public policy in master's programs at the City University of New York and Columbia University. He is now your Senator-elect for New York's 11th District. On Friday, December 28th, John and I met and we dis discussed the MTA. We discussed accountability, budgets, Amazon, accessibility, fair fares, buses, congestion pricing, and other pressing issues. After my interview with John, I will speak on what we learned from John and my thoughts on what we learned from him. Following my summary, I will have contact information for Senator-elect John Liu and myself. Please enjoy. Today I'm speaking with John Liu. John Liu is Senator-elect for New York's 11th District. His district includes College Point, Bayside, parts of Flushing. John was born in Taiwan. Don't forget Whitestone. And Whitestone. Glen Oaks, Glen Bellrose. Queens Village, Douglaston, Little Neck. <laughs> you got to include everybody. Jamaica, Jamaica Estates, everybody. Okay. Huh. Anyone else in there? Uh, Let's get everybody in there as many as possible. A little bit of Fresh Meadows as well. Fresh and Oakland Gardens. John was born in Taiwan and immigrated to New York City when he was five years old. Prior to public service, he worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers and served as president of North Flushing Civic Association before being elected to city council. He was a member of City Council from 2002 to 2009, representing New York's 20th District. After his terms in City Council, he was elected to New York City Comptroller from 2010 to 2013. He is now your Senator-elect for New York's 11th District. Sarah, you did your homework. I did. <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for so, having me. It's such an exciting time right now. It, uh, that's one way to put it. <laughs> one thing New Yorkers can agree on is that the MTA is in critical condition. It needs to be talked about, hence the podcast. It I think everybody to, talks about the MTA, but it needs to be said out loud. Day. We can we can just you know yell into the void on Twitter and it achieves nothing. So I figure <laughs> okay. if we talk it out loud, people will hear it. All right, that's what we aim to do to to make some changes. Yes, I have a few questions regarding specific issues, and if there are any district specific issues, feel free to bring them up. 
Okay. Um, have you read Andy Byford's plan? Fast forward. What are your thoughts on it? I've I haven't read the plan itself. I've read about it. I mean, you know, Andy's still a relatively new guy, and this is what we need. We we, we it's always good to have new blood because they bring some new ideas, and they're not necessarily jaded by what hasn't worked in the past. So uh, Andy seems to be energetic, and that's that's the kind of person we need in this very challenging position. No question about it. I mean. Uh, I like to complain, like everybody else does, about our subways and buses and the MTA system in general. Uh, but it is a very antiquated system. It takes forever just to fix something. I mean, you know, the signals have been being upgraded for decades at this point. They're 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly my point. So, uh, so we need we need a lot of effort. Um, it's going to take money, but money is not all that's that's needed. It's, it takes a concerted effort and a certain and sheer willpower yes. to make the changes to, to to fix the system. I wish he was more honest about the time frame. He says it's going to take 10 years. It's like, you don't even have all your money yet. So it's <laughs> just like, you need to be more honest about that. That's true. Uh, I mean, on the other hand, in the past, M the MTA has been brutally honest. I remember uh, not too long ago, the head of the MTA saying that it will take 40 years, four zero years to upgrade the signal system, I which is it. just, uh, I mean, people hear that and and they rip their hair, hair out. And so uh, Andy, I mean, if he could get something done in 10 years, more power to him. And, you know, we, we have to give him some public support and just to, uh, just to number one, keep him energized about it, but also to hold him accountable. Yes, accountability is key. We're going to talk about yeah, accountability. That's exactly right. Let's talk about the most recent elephant in the room, Amazon in Queens. <laughs> Andy Byford apparently told Amazon that Queens is, quote, transit rich and the system would be able to accommodate the influx of new workers. Now, you live there. Now, yes, there are buses yeah, and there are trains. Invite, we're going to invite Andy out to Queens <laughs> and, it's like I said, and well, ride some of the buses and subways. Technically, there is a lot of options. They're just packed because they can't handle, the, can't handle mean, the population there now, the, correct? You, if you look on a subway map, Andy is right. There is transit infrastructure in and around the area that Amazon would like to relocate to, I mean, to, to locate their HQ2, which itself is another different question. But uh, if you look at a map, the infrastructure is there. Whether the capacity is there, the map doesn't show capacity. And so if you look at people who already take those those subways, subway lines and the theater bus routes, uh, they will say that they can't get on. And so it's something that, you know, while it looks like the, it, it, it's there on the map, in reality, it's not. That's true. Which is why we're going to invite Andy out to Queens. Yes, he should come out there. Sh yep. So should, you know, I don't know, Andrew Cuomo should go out there too. <laughs> and maybe Jeff Bezos without his helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> you got all those zingers in there, Sarah. Very nicely done. <laughs> on Tuesday, December 18th, the Metropolitan Transit wait a minute, Metropolitan Transportation Sustainability Advisory Workgroup, quite a name, Yes. met and provided us with some dire news about the future of the MTA if the MTA does not change the way they manage their system and made major suggestions regarding the fixing the state of the MTA. One of the suggestions was dissolving the MTA because it is not effective and proven it cannot lead or manage its finances. Also, it's stated that the MTA needs to find several, not just one, but several consistent and sustainable revenue streams. One of their revenue stream suggestions is congestion pricing. What is your thought on congestion pricing? 
Well, the MTA probably does need to be restructured. It's been uh, almost five decades since the MTA was uh, came into being. Uh, actually, maybe a little bit more at this point. It was 1968 when they became like okay, state. Okay, so exactly five decades. And uh, you, you have a system where originally it was meant to remove the politics from the important decision making. One of the important decisions having to be made every so often was a fare increases, a fare increase which uh, no politician wanted to be a part of. Uh, so the idea of the separate MTA was to uh, really to depoliticize, although people say now it's too political. So uh, some restructuring, uh, perhaps a change in the makeup and the approval process of the board members is necessary, as well as a, a you know a, maybe a, a top-down review of the entire management structure. Well, when at the you, MTA. when you were in the transit um, commission committee, the, back in the day, transportation committee in yes, the city council, yes, yes. you suggested um, making the board more representative of the city. That's right. And it unfortunately didn't take because the um, board just recently, there was a gentleman on the board who actually said he doesn't understand how buses work. Should our board members be required to understand how transit works, take public transit and pay for it? They should. They absolutely should. I mean, part of the problem back then, and I believe it's still a problem now, is that board members get uh, a free ride on transit, even though they, they rarely take it. take it. Right. So uh, so if you're, if you're going to be... A, an appointee, a board member on the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, you really need to have some understanding of what it's like to be a passenger because at the end of the day, those are the people that you're supposed to be representing. Right, if you get stuck in a tunnel for 40 minutes and you get stuck in a tunnel for 40 minutes. Yeah, Sarah, you, you and this being stuck in a tunnel for 40 minutes, it's just like one of those things, right? It's, it's, <laughs> you have to experience it and then maybe you know, you'd know understand how I, mass transit me, works in this city. I have experienced it more than my share in, in my life. I've been taking transit since I was a kid. <laughs> Other than congestion pricing. Do you, can, so, you, can you see yeah, any I mean, other you, you ways? Mentioned, you mentioned revenue stream. You know, the MTA takes a bite out of all of us in almost every aspect of our life. So there are many, many, quote, dedicated revenue streams that the MTA gets. Every, every time you, uh, you finance the purchase of your home, you take out a mortgage, the MTA takes a whopping 1.75%, which is nuts which is which means that if you buy a house or an apartment in New York City uh, every time you buy a place you're you know you're potentially forking over ten thousand dollars all at once to the MTA if you uh, if you have a job and you work in the downstate area uh, it doesn't necessarily come out of your paycheck but your employer has to pay a third of your roughly a third of your pay Really? To the MTA. Really? That's a dedicated revenue stream. It's called the Regional Mobility Tax. I did not know that. Every time you buy a bottle of shampoo or so, anything that's subject to sales tax, guess what? The MTA gets a bite out of it. They get three-eighths of a percent of every sales tax that you pay. So, uh, and that's just, just three. just math in my head right now. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's uh, if you buy a thousand dollars worth of stuff, they get um, they get almost four dollars. Why can't they manage their money? I mean, you were a city so controller. So well, I mean that's a good question. That's why you save 
this city billions of dollars by Thank you, Sarah. Oh, thank you. I, I, you and I, I are good things. friends now. <laughs> I read things. I read things. It's like you you went in and saw where the where the waste MTA was. Uh, on the one hand it is it does need more money. It does need more money because a long time ago the state decided that uh, the MTA would have to be self-sufficient. Actually, a lot of this happened under George Pataki, who, you know, I mean, he was proud of it. He, he made it a stated goal of his administration to not have the residents of New York State subsidize New York City transit riders. I mean, those were almost his exact words. And he succeeded in doing so. And one of the things that he did was to, uh, to have the state... St have the state no longer pay for capital needs of the MTA, which meant that anytime the MTA had capital needs, they'd have to go out and issue bonds, borrow money, and then repay all that money with interest. So what are these capital needs? Well, it's not just signal upgrades. It's not just uh, uh, track repairs. It's also buying new buses and subway cars. Uh, anytime a platform needs to repair, anytime we needed to uh, install an elevator. Those are all capital needs. The state, it used to be part of the state's capital budget. No longer. They are now part of the MTA's capital budget. And so if you look at how much debt service, which is kind of like a mortgage payment, uh, when the MTA has to make these mortgage payments, number one, the mortgage payments keep increasing in amount every single year because every time the MTA needs something, they have to borrow the money. And, and number two, uh, the time horizon on these capital, on this capital debt continues to get extended farther into the future. So who has to pay for all this? Ultimately, it's the fair-paying passenger riding public. Uh, so that's created a huge financial strain on the, on the MTA, in large part because the state doesn't support the MTA capital needs anymore directly. Uh, on the other hand, the MTA also needs to better manage itself. Yes. We have... We live in the financial capital of the world. There's no accountability. That's the problem. There's, there's, there's no accountability. Projects go and... on forever, and they cost billions of dollars. Just look at Eastside Access. Right. Look how long it took to get, you know, CBTC on the seven line. Right. And it went, went like what, three or four years over? It, it there's, there's, it's, how, it's a rarity it, for the MTA to come in on time and on the, budget. Seriously, the last time anything came in on time and on budget was the first tunnel that was dug in 1904 when it was finished. <laughs> and that's the truth. 19, from 1900 to 1904, they dug the first tunnel from um, City, Hall, to City Hall to like um, Harlem. Okay. And that's the last time they came in on time and on budget. When, I mean, given your... And back then, it was done by a private company. It wasn't even the MTA. It's true. Back then, the, the, the transit systems companies. were, yeah, there were three private subway companies. There were. That ultimately were absorbed into this, this public agency called the MTA. Well, when you get up to the Senate there, will you try to at least get some oversight meetings? Because there aren't yes, any, because we absolutely. need some. So we I can mean, go, we why, have, why does it take you years to do this? Why is it costing this much money? It's just a have, black hole. We give you billions of dollars and you can't spend them right. Uh, we've already talked about this in the Senate even before we've convened the session uh, for 2019. Uh, we have Senator Ted, Tim Kennedy, who is the head of the Transportation Committee in the Senate. Uh, and also we have uh, Senator Leroy Comrie, also from Queens, who is the head of the uh, Commissions, Authorities, and Corporations Committee, which has direct oversight over the MTA operations. So uh, this is definitely going to be a hot topic that 
that we'll be discussing in the Senate. Again, to uh, increase accountability on the part of the MTA, but also to recognize that they do have some some financial needs if we want to uh, keep up the system. And, you know, part of it is that uh, the ridership, even though it seems like it has slipped in recent months, it's still at a pretty much all-time high. The, uh, the city is getting more and more populated. Uh, there's more, oper- uh, more e- economic activity, which is a good thing. Yeah. But we want to make sure that our infrastructure, particularly our transit infrastructure, can keep up with the growth. New York City became a major social and financial and cultural capital of the world because of the subway, to move people quickly. Yes, you're absolutely and right. And if it dies, the city dies. And if the city dies, the state dies. Because the MTA services 15.3 million people, and the state of New York is 19 million. So, I am not going to argue with yeah, Sarah Peltz on any of these numbers. Don't, don't argue with <laughs> me. I, I looked them up. Um, let's talk fair fares. Do you think it does enough to help our low-income citizens who help make this city run? I, I think it's a good starting point. I, it's uh, people. Too many people don't realize this, but the transit fare itself has been an economic barrier to too many New Yorkers. And so, I, I certainly support the fare fares system. I'm glad the mayor ultimately came around to it after the council led on this issue. And um, Speaker Johnson's been really good with MTA issues. Corey has been amazing, not only on MTA issues, but just in terms of bringing equality to all New Yorkers, which is, sure. you know, if people can't get around, uh, if they can't afford to get around, they can't access job opportunities, they can't access educational opportunities. And so we want to we want a transit system that increases access for everybody. Yes, Matilde Frontis, our now assemblywoman of Matilde Frontis on our podcast, was saying accessibility has more to do with like elevators. It has the ability to ride the subway. And there's a financial burden on a lot of people because when that 275, that's it. Right. You can't get a cab. If your cra- train craps out, you can't get a cab. You can't get an Uber. That's right. You've got to somehow find there's a way no to get other, there. There's, there's no option. Especially for those who are working two or three jobs who aren't working. For most people in the city, there are no transit options other than the buses and subways. So we need to do better by everybody. No argument here, Sarah. <laughs> also in 2002, you submitted le- legislation that would require the MTA to disclose an, an analysis to indicate whether a fare increase was necessary. That's right. It's the, a shame we couldn't get them to do that. But do you think it's ne- but do you think it's appropriate to raise fares next year when things are not going so well now? Well, they We're getting from point A to point B is questionable. They they did put in a system many years ago at this point to have automatic increases every other year. The fare increases are not something that people like. Uh, but again, we're talking about financial strain at the MTA. So to the extent that we can isolate mismanagement problems, we should be able to deal with those directly. But that's, uh, you know, frankly, is probably not going to obviate the need for the MTA to at, at least have their revenues keep up with inflation. And, uh, and that's my understanding is that that's what they try to do to at least keep up with the costs uh, of to keep up with rising costs what they need is better leadership they need actual managers to like figure all this stuff out from the top down they need full-time people well they're they all they all are full-time i don't think there are any part-time managers at the mta i mean uh, for example andy and his whole staff they're all full-timers but you know what i mean yeah i think well it goes back to your original question which has to do with the governance so it's not just the management and the individual people who are hired as managers 
but the governance of the system, who's on the board, what kinds of qualifications uh, the board members themselves have to have, and uh, and maybe potential changes to the, the makeup of, of the board itself. Like maybe getting riders to yes. be on the board. And like people with actual, like who take the, trans, the transit system with a vote. That's right. And it, it probably it probably wouldn't hurt to get some people who have some financial acumen on on the board as well. No, Not necessarily everybody, but at least an at least a few of them. An yeah, yeah, would be nice. That's right. What are your thoughts on the current narrative of fare evasion? Ah, uh, well, okay, that's that's something that I think has been overblown. I mean, you know, the the MTA claiming that they are losing huge amounts of it's revenue. Just, it's, well, here's the thing: the the Washington Post did an article on Washington's system with fare evasion the same week. And in the spring, Boston had a bunch of stuff about fare evasion. It seems right. to be the cause du jour about why they're losing money. But before <laughs> this, it was, you know, they're blaming Uber and Lyft. Right. By the way, advertise on MTA property. Right. Before and then, it was we couldn't board and disembark properly, which is why they're, they know, are, they there are delays. delays. And, so it's just like they constantly And the MTA blame has blamed blame so. track fires on free newspapers. And I they mean, blame, blame everybody for, else. They blame Con Ed for things. It's just like you can't. Sometimes you just need to take a look in the mirror and go, maybe it's me. Right, right. I, 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 I don't buy the, the also, idea that fair evasion, evasion if, if is. Fair evasion a, was such a big deal. Why did they get rid of exit only turnstiles in certain stations when they updated them? Because that's what they did at like Bay Ridge Ave. Again, I, I think just, it's, it's a red a, herring. It's, it's, just it's just another just, excuse. Yeah. Uh, you know, I take the subways fairly often myself. And I mean, when I'm waiting for the train, I'm, I'm looking at those turnstiles. And I take I take trains from a lot of different stations throughout the city. I rarely see anybody evading the fares. If I see someone like jumping the turnstile, it's because their card doesn't work. That's that potentially could be true. Also, so it's just like and they can't and if there's no booth attendant, they they got to get to work. So they do right. what they got to do. And I'm sure that they might even feel bad about it. <laughs> I know I would. One of our issues commuters have with the MTA is their aversion to communication. Just an example: the L train shutdown. Right. Information came out in drips and drabs, and eventually they just came up with, you know, a fleet of diesel buses going through the village, and then they came up with ferries under duress going, all right, here's some ferries for you too. But it was just the lack of communication. They could definitely do much, much better communicating with people. I mean, at, at least we don't have the, the problem, or at least it's not as pervasive a problem as a number of years ago where you couldn't even hear most of the announcements coming over the platforms because the system garbled the message right they still don't have announcements all that in much. many of the in many of the platforms but uh you know it's it's not just a matter of the equipment they have at the stations it's just the mindset is too often that all oh, people don't really need to know exactly what's happening right and people do need yes. to know and they have every right to know what's happening also the um the screens at some stations, the countdown clocks, the app, and the website all run on different systems. <laughs> and they so, don't communicate with so each other. So on your phone, you say that it says that the train is two minutes away. On the platform, it says it's eight minutes yes. away. It's Yes. Yeah. It's just like it's a choose-your-own-adventure game. Yeah, I gotta, and I got to tell you, you know, I, I, take, uh, I take buses a lot because I'm a Queens person. And the bus app, I mean, sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. When they released the MTA app, they had outdated maps on them. Well, it's like there's no quality control. And speaking about buses... And that's a matter of management, not a matter of 
money. And buses can't move because it's like everybody's, but the buses are in the bus lane. You've right. got FedEx, you've got all that stuff. We well, that, now that we can't pin on the MTA. That that becomes a city DOT and NYPD issue. Well, the, D, well, the DOT has to get out of the bus lanes too because they're there a lot too. <laughs> I'm just, it's truth. I just speak truth. Plus, you know, people with little truth signs. Truth to power. That's what Sour si- Pelts is about. Plus little signs in their window, you know, <laughs> saying I can park anywhere I want. It's like, no, you can't. Um, let's talk about accessibility. Our disabled citizens are not being accommodated. Currently, 22% of subway stations have elevators. Overall, all rail lines is 40% accessible. Mm-hmm. While Byford's plan calls for more elevators, it still leaves more than half stations without. Accessoride picks up some of the slack, but not enough. What are your thoughts on the MTA's history of constant well, pushback regarding accessibility and elevators? It, it is abysmal. We are coming up on almost three decades after the ADA was passed. and half the system is still not accessible. And even the parts that are accessible, the elevators and the escalators, and they are, they're down too often, and they're, you know, many of them are just downright disgusting to be in. Yeah. So uh, this, this is not a funding issue. This is a matter of will at the MTA to get it done right. And there is an elevator coming to 86th Street in Brooklyn and Bay Ridge. It's going to cost $17.9 million, and it's going to take two years. Uh, yeah, I wonder about some of these price tags, right? Yeah, it's like 17 so Is this the MTA or the Pentagon? It's like, seriously, $17.9 million to put in an elevator? <laughs> and I found out from Jessica Ramos, if you want to put in an elevator, you don't need to be bonded or licensed or anything. You and I could put in an elevator if we wanted to. I wouldn't because I don't know how. Would you like to comment on the recent assaults of not only our MTA employees, but also regular people underground? Because there seems to be a lot of that going on. Well, this is now under the auspices of the NYPD, which is responsible there, for so patrolling. Tra- but there's so few transit cops. I don't see a lot. Yeah. There needs to be more of those. We need to figure out a way to get more police presence under there. We do. And it's also, we're also stressed out. So when people, it's like, and I tell people, don't hit bus drivers, don't hit, you know, the um, the motormen because they're just trying to get you from point A to point B. I know. B. It's not their fault uh, they're working with 80 year Assault of any kind, whether it be actual hitting or worse or, you know, uh, verbal, verbal abuse or unfortunately spitting. I mean, it's just our transit workers, they bear the brunt of people's frustrations, even though they're not, even though the transit workers are not the cause of the delays. No. And so, uh, you know, I think most people understand that. Uh, there are the a few bad re- apples. The most reasonable person in the world can, like, have, like, the worst commute on earth. Right. And sometimes lose it. Right. But it's not, not an it's, excuse, though. It's not the drive, it's not the fault of the the person driving the train or the conductor or the bus driver there's there are many other factors and i i think most of new yorkers are are kind-hearted and they don't engage in that but the few who do they need to be penalized and that's what the nypd is there for would you like to address the lack of proper communication between the governor and the mayor on this <laughs> issue uh, you know what that's a that's a failure on both of their parts i mean they have this this personal feud going on for five years now to our detriment to the public's detriment that's right and it doesn't help any anything and it just makes people much much more cynical about about government in general so the mayor and the governor they have to get their act together and work together to solve one of the most most difficult yeah it they could get so much more done if they were collaborative with each other 
Cuomo, his father, Mario Cuomo, did not get along with Ed Koch, but they managed to get the subway out of its first crisis in the 80s by working together because they understood the severity of the situation. Well, looks like these two can learn from those they lessons. Should. Let's talk transit deserts. Queens is a massive transit desert. It as, is. As you know. And My also, area. Also parts of the Bronx and pockets of Brooklyn. Of course, Staten Island takes an hour and a half for them to get anywhere. That's right. And lots of talk have been about, like, light rails and stuff like that. Would you like to see something like that in those transit deserts? I mean, I'd, I'd like to Just see... to get somewhere? I, to get I to prefer actual sustainable extensions and expansions of the MTA system. That means to the extent possible, and it's you know very difficult in most places in the city to build subways. Uh, short of being, building subways, we can have more uh, what used to be called... Uh, bus rapid transit, which nowadays takes the form of select buses, which I think works well. I have t- there are a number of lines, select bus lines that I personally take. Uh, they're quick. There are fewer delays because you don't have to wait for people to insert those metro cards, only to get rejected half the time. Um, and uh, and they reserve lanes for buses, traffic lanes. So I think that's a system that can bear more, uh, can bear an expansion of. We can have it in more of the busy corridors throughout the city. And I also do believe that we, to some extent, we can return to our origins on the waterways. Yeah. Because there's just only so much room for movement on land. Why not use our rivers? Uh, We have so much waterfront. and, um, And in fact, that's one of the ways that New York City became uh, as as well off as, as it was in the early days, the fact that we were a port city. Right. Well, the mayor does have his fast ferry program, but he didn't even have it. He doesn't even dock at Staten Island. So we need to have a well thought out yes. ferry system. So it's just like, why would you integrate it with the rest of the bus and subway yeah. system? Did you know that the MTA deep cleans the trains every eight to ten weeks? Which and they are also planning on cutting down on cleaning at the beginning and and either at the beginning or the end of every line for cost. They're also discussing reducing AC in summer in the heating in the winter for cost. Yes. I also heard that they may be cutting overnight bus services in Staten Island by the ferry for cost and deferring expanding the new select bus service routes to 2021 ah, for so, cost. Sarah. They, they can find money for they can find money for Second Avenue. They can find money for East Side access. And illumi- don't forget illuminating the bridges yes, in the city. Yes. With don't, different decorative colors. They're pretty. <laughs> they're very very pretty. Well, all those things that you mentioned, you know, deferring a new service, um, uh, cutting back on the cleaning and maintenance. Uh, all these are they're, they're surely going to make New Yorkers happy about paying a higher fare. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yes. <laughs> and Andy Byford when he testified in front of the Committee on Transportation or Transport yeah, Committee on Transportation, he was talking about um, improving customer service, improving their our experience underground. It's like but you're doing all these things you're cutting all these services. Right. It's not helping any of us. Nope, it's not. That's so you just why contradicted yourself. Well, you know, obviously Andy is on a learning curve. Yeah. Let's hope he gets there very quickly. I, it's like, I understand that New York is this big behemoth, but he can't say things like that and then do things like this and just expect every, no one to talk about it. He, he is in for a rude awakening. Let's hope he awakens very quickly and gets to work on these intractable issues. Well, the fun part was he courted the press, so everyone knows who he is. Now everyone knows who he is. So it's just like, <laughs> we could talk about you now. Yes. Before, we had no idea who they were. 
If you could have Governor Cuomo, Andy Byford, and Bill de Blasio in a room together and explain transit issues for not only your borough and your district, but the city as a whole, what would you tell them? Well, we tell them to fix it because they're the ones who appoint the board members. They're the ones who hire all the staff. And between the three of them, there's nobody else to blame. So get the three of them in a room and get the damn system fixed. What would be your suggestions other than, you know, being more mindful with your money, having audits and accountability and oversight meetings? Well, come up with a detailed construction plan, a construction and overhaul plan. Figure out exactly, well, figure out how much is needed to pay for this stuff, assuming you have a tight management plan. And then everybody else can pitch in in terms, you know, the legislative bodies, perhaps Congress, try to figure out how to fund this plan. Problem is that there's no credible detailed plan that the public can buy into and actually believe. If the public believed the MTA, then uh, they would be much more willing to uh, to fork over the money that the MTA. There is quite a, a, a you know crisis of confidence. That's exactly <laughs> what MTA. it is. It's it, it, again, people understand that the MTA does have some financial duress. But not everybody understands, I'm sorry, Never. not everyone believes that the MTA is actually up to the job. That's unfortunate. But, they're, but they've proven that they're incapable of well, staying on task and staying within their budget. Let's, let's, uh, let's get the MTA focused on their task. True. That's where you come in with oversight. That's what we'll and do. As a former comptroller, you can be like, this is how you save money. <laughs> be smart with your money. In our remaining time, is there anything in closing you'd like to express or say about your district, the city, and not just the MTA? Well, I, I think it's a great city. It's a city that I am not native to. I'm an immigrant, but I've been here since I was a kid growing up in the public schools. And it's a city that I think has a tremendous potential in the future. Uh, we have challenges, no question. Our transit and other infrastructure are definitely some of the most uh most difficult challenges we face but this is all the more reason why reports such as you the one you're doing right now getting information out to the public helping people understand what the problems are and what the possible solutions are when more people know about these uh, these issues the better it is for policymaker the easier it'll be for policymakers to come up with long-term sustainable solutions okay so thanks for doing this Sarah thank you I appreciate your time my pleasure good luck Thank you. So what did we learn today from John Liu? We learned a lot. In fact, we learned that if you own a home or your apartment, you are paying for the MTA. If you are a working person, you are paying for the MTA. If you buy toiletries, you are paying for the MTA. Think about it. Every time you go to Dwayne Reed, and you buy your basic items, you are paying for the MTA. Quite a revelation. So if they receive these monies from us every day, the question is here, where is all the money going? And why isn't it being spent wisely? John Liu intends to find that out. As New York City Comptroller, he went into that office and identified wasteful and unnecessary spending and saved the city billions of dollars. Hopefully, when sworn in, he will in fact help start regular and reoccurring oversight meetings.
The lack of oversight means no one is really held accountable. And if no one is held accountable, then you will do whatever you like because no one is telling you no. No one is putting your feet to the fire when costs balloon and projects run years over. John wants to create a system of accountability. Hopefully, John can help create real change at the MTA. During his time on city council, he openly questioned the need to raise fares and asked the MTA to require proof that it needed to raise fares. He questioned why the board wasn't representative of actual New Yorkers, submitted legislation to have a more representative board, submitted legislation for more transparency from the MTA. Hopefully now that he is in a legislative position at a state level, he can bring these ideas to reality. A board that represents riders accurately. A board that takes mass transit and understands it. The need for transparency. The MTA needs to change the way it does business. And if the past is any indicator, John Liu will do his best to create change, efficiency, and more importantly, accountability. I encourage any politician to talk to me. I may not agree with you politically, but we can still talk transit and the MTA. Color, creed, sexual orientation, or political affiliation doesn't matter. We're all just trying to get to work. Also, vote. Get out and vote. If you have not registered to vote, register to vote. I know we just had a major election, but local elections happen all the time such as the public advocate special election coming up. And that person that you vote for on the school board probably has higher political aspirations that ultimately may impact you more than what textbook your child reads. Plus, the MTA is, in fact, a political organization run by the governor, with some board members selected by the governor and some by the mayor. You can pick up a registration form at any municipal office. You can call 1-866-VOTE-NYC and they will send you a registration form and you can mail it back. You can also register online. Go to Board of City Elections in the City of New York and you can register there. As Bob Schieffer's mother used to say, go out and vote. It makes you feel big and strong. For those youngins who don't know who Bob Schieffer is, get your Google on and Google him. I used to watch him every Sunday morning on my Sunday morning nerd show, Face the Nation. Anyway, regardless, go out and vote. Let your voice be heard. That's it, everyone. Thank you for listening, and I hope that John Liu and I gave you something to think about and chew on. Remember, we're all in these tin cans together, and in order for this to work, we all have to participate. Or just be supportive and be in my amen corner. Here are some spots where you can reach out to John and myself. And as the Four Tops once said, reach out and I'll be there. Thank you to Senator-elect John Liu for meeting with me, and thank you to Heather for helping to set up the meeting. Find John Liu at website www.johnlewnewyork.com, Twitter at Liu New York, Instagram Liu for New York, and four is the number four. Facebook, lou.nyc. Find me, email, podcastsarah at gmail.com. 
This podcast is hosted on Anchor.com. Twitter, at ExeneZoom, that's E-X-E-N-E-Z-O-O-M, where I employ the hashtag, How's Andy's Commute? Whenever I complain to the MTA about my or your miserable commute. You're welcome. And I encourage all of you to use the following hashtag as well. Hashtag, Service Evasion. Instagram, Lights at the End of the Tunnel, one big word. Facebook, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. SoundCloud, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Spotify, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Google Podcast, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Although this app is only available for Android users. Breaker Social Podcasts, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. RadioPublic.com, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. PocketCast, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Overcast, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Thanks to Ox on the Roof for the intro music. Follow them on Twitter at OxRoofMusic. Also SoundCloud at OxOnTheRoof and Instagram OxOnTheRoof. So reach out and share. The only way for this to be successful is to work together. We need to shine a light so bright they can't ignore us. Shine brightly, everybody!